Well, it may surprise you. We're talking about God for Skeptics. That's the title of the series. Um, it may surprise you to know that many thinking people, I'm talking about intellectuals, are actually considering Christianity again. Um, a recent article, a Christmas article, uh, in the magazine The Spectator, just this last Christmas, um, speaks about Western civilization under threat now from Putinism, Islam, and woke ideology, quotes, which is eating the moral fibre of the next generation. And the thrust is that some people are thinking that only the old Christian values can get us back on the right track. <clears throat> they recognise the kind of, kind of society we're becoming with so many problems, family breakdown, mental health, fewer and fewer people prepared to sign up for the services, even to defend the country, children under all kinds of influences, not even knowing whether they're a boy or a girl. Of course, the past wasn't perfect, but these people are beginning to think, actually, <laughs> it was more stable. It was a more stable society when Christianity had more influence in the country. That's what a number of uh, people are beginning to think, intellectual folk. But notice, um, they are doing so not because they think Christianity is true. Um, to quote the spectator, it is because, quote, it is useful and that Christianity made the West successful in the past. Now, by contrast to that, people who are Christians, committed Christians, would say, no, 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 the reason Christianity works is because it is true. The reason why it's helpful is it's actually the truth about reality. Yes, we want to see our nation blessed uh, through turning again to its Christian foundations, but not just because it will, be, it will help, but rather because this is reality. This is the truth. That's what a, a committed Christian would say. Now, the point of this little Sunday night series is to help us to see this. Um, you may be a Christian here, um, and under the constant bombardment of the secular media, which tells you that God is either irrelevant or he's not there at all, or just a figment of your imagination, you may, be, you may need reminding yourself all the time you're up against this pressure that there's no God or he's just irrelevant, and you just need to be reminded and to say, to understand that, no, you, you, you're not a silly person to believe. It's actually the right thing. So that might be you. On the other hand, you may be someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, and yet you're here tonight because you can't help feeling that, well, I'm not a Christian, but there seems to be something in this. I'm a bit skeptical about it, but somehow or other, this, you know, I want to know more about that. So you may be in that camp, and that's absolutely fine, and we hope that you know, you'll ask questions, etc. So tonight, we're going to look at, obviously quite briefly, um, investigate something of the evidence uh, for God. That's our agenda. Where should we look for evidence? Well, the Bible tells us, just look around you. Here's a verse from Romans chapter 1. 
Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. In other words, the world around you. That's where the Bible would tell you to look for evidence. And I think, you know, that's a reasonable place, isn't it? And I hope if you're not even a Christian, but nevertheless, you say, yeah, well, that's that is obviously where we need to look. So briefly, we're going to look at three areas. Science. I was trained as a scientist, a doctorate in something ridiculous. And we're going to look at science, we're going to look at history, and we're going to look at experience, those three things, quite briefly. So let's start, first of all, uh, with science. I hope science was okay at school for you. First, I want to encourage you, I'm going to say two things under science. First of all, I want to encourage you generally to see that rather than science and God being in opposition to each other, it was actually belief in the God of the Bible which gave birth to modern science. Yes, the Greeks and the Chinese and some Muslim scholars have made some headway previously, but real science, the stuff we would call science and scientific method, really got going on the same continent, Europe, and at the same time as the rediscovery of biblical Christianity at the Reformation in about 15th, 16th century. That's when both of those things happened, and they happened together. Now, why should that be? A, if you believe in a faithful eternal God, a faithful eternal creator, rather than a random universe, you have reason to believe that his laws of how things work will be the same everywhere, and, because he made the whole thing, (laughs) and the same all the time, because he's a faithful God, he's not a capricious God who keeps changing his mind. So if you were trying to find out how the world works and, you know, you did an experiment on Tuesday, but you did the same thing on Wednesday and and the answer was different, you know, it would be impossible, wouldn't it? It would be impossible to to get anywhere with that kind of thing. Or if you did an experiment in England and it was one answer and an experiment in Italy and it was a different, again, it would be ridiculous. How could you possibly get to grips with that? But no, the, the idea of a God, the creator of all things, who does not change, um, is kind of foundational to making science a kind of viable pursuit. So that's the first thing to say, well, it's not going to be a wild goose chase that you can never find the answer to. So that's A, that's why generally there is that link between the Reformation and science. But B... This is a question for you. This is something you probably just take for granted. But here's the question. Why should, we, why should we expect to be able to understand the world? Why should we expect to do that? You see, we just take that for granted. But such understanding is not necessary for our evolutionary survival. Dogs and cats don't do science. 
insects and cows, you know, they, they don't understand. They just exist and get on with it, don't they? And, and they survive and it's fine. So if we're just like, why should we think that we should be able to understand the world? You see what I'm saying? So how come we should expect to understand things? Well, the Bible, of course, gives the answer. The Bible says human beings are made in the image of God. We are, as it were, reflections of God on earth. We're not like the other creatures. They were... God made them after their own kind, but we are made in his likeness. We are able, in the words of the great astronomer Johann Kepler, 16th, 17th century, 17th, 18th, 17th century, in his words, we are able to think God's thoughts after him because we are made in God's image. That, you see, that makes science possible. That's That's the reason why science is possible. We are very, very clever beings because we're made in the image of God. We can understand. We can even make artificial intelligence these days, can't we? So a Christian worldview makes the science project a viable pursuit. A random universe that had just come out of nowhere, well, why should anyone be able to understand it? So that's the first thing. And hence the connection with the Reformation that historians argue about, but it's there. So that's generally why <coughs> Christianity and, 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 and science go together. That's the first thing to say about God. God makes science viable. But the second, let's get more specific. Second, more specifically, as one example... Think of that large self-copying molecule DNA on which all life depends. It's a double helix, rather like a, a twisted ladder. If you imagine a ladder that's been twisted, it's a bit, it, sound, it, it, it looks like that. Now, of course, if you don't believe in God, the creator and designer, you have to believe that that essential molecule for life exists in, in, in our cell, every cell, you have to believe, and it, it's kind of like the blueprint for how the creature is going to be, if you don't believe in God, the creator and design, you have to believe that that just came by chance, sort of out of nowhere, this very complicated molecule. So atheists say there are all these atoms floating around in space. Notice they don't say where they came from. They're just floating around in space. And by accident, this extremely complicated molecule DNA just happened. And from there, somehow or other, it's got to human beings and everything else. Well, mathematically, the chance of that happening is just completely off the scale. You see, if you try to guess the result when you throw a dice, right? Six sides of the dice. If you throw it and you try to guess in advance what, what, what it's going to be, you have a one in six chance of being right, don't you? Because there are six sides. That's, that's how it works. 
But the chance of DNA happening by accident was actually calculated by a great physicist, Sir Fred Hoyle, back in the 1980s. And the, the chance of DNA coming together by chance is not one in six, it's not one in ten, it's not one in a hundred, it's not one in a million, it's not even one in a million million. It's not even one in a million million million. Listen to this, it is one in ten times itself, 40,000 times. Really, it is never, ever going to happen, ever. When the Daily Mail reported Hoyle's findings in 1980, their headline was, there must be a God. There must be. And that's right. Now, of course, people don't want to hear that. (laughs) But that's what the mathematics of DNA says. Now, this didn't go down too well with the atheists, (laughs) what Hoyle had come up with. So in 1996, Richard Dawkins, the great man, wrote a book titled Climbing Mount Improbable to try and get round this. And he tried to say, yes, DNA couldn't happen all at once by chance. But maybe, he said, it could happen a little bit at a time. So the kind of picture he had was of a kind of a mountain with a very steep face there and a kind of very gentle one back here, a gentle slope to the top. So when he's saying, this is impossible... I understand that, but perhaps we could just climb up this mountain to get to DNA this way. And here's an analogy. He says, well, he doesn't say, but this is my analogy. Imagine we had 20 dice like this, and um, you want them all to come up as sixes. All right? Now, if you throw all 20 at once... Again, that's very, very improbable. It will probably never happen, even that. But says Dawkins' approach, he says something like this. If you throw one of them at a time, and you keep throwing the first one, and that gets a six, and you hold on to that, and then you come to the second one, you throw that, throw that until that comes up at a six, and then you hold on to that. If you keep going like that, it's not too difficult to get 26s. But the book cut very little ice. I don't even think it's on the shelves of Waterstones these days. Why? Because there was a flaw in the logic. You see, what are you doing when you keep the first six and when you keep the second six, etc.? And then the next one and so on. What are you doing when you do that? You are giving away the fact that you know what the result you want to have. But blind evolution doesn't know the result it's meant to have. You see? If evolution is purely by chance, it doesn't know in advance what it's heading for. It doesn't work, Mr Dawkins. You've actually tried to smuggle in a bit of design by the back door. <laughs> that's, that's what was going on there, you see? No, life is no accident. 
Where's the evidence for God? Look around you. There's all these living people. There's all these living creatures. That's where you can start, first of all. There's all this life. It couldn't possibly happen by chance. It points to a maker. So there's something about science for you to think about. Right? So let's move on and let's have a look at some history. During the last week or so, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has admitted that he wasn't able to keep his promises on cutting the NHS waiting lists, nor, indeed, on stopping the migrant boats crossing the channel. Couldn't do it. Tended that that should happen, couldn't do it. In his position, he's one of the most powerful men, you know, but he can't make things happen that he sincerely wants or predict what will happen. You know, he's, I'm going to do this. Now I've got to say I couldn't do it. As human beings, we can't make the future or predict the future. But the evidence is, and that book's just in your hand, the evidence is there that the Bible can do just that. God actually uses this. Um, he's in the book of Isaiah. I'll just, he's, he's basically, his people have gone into, into captivity in, in, in Babylon. But God begins to taunt the gods of Babylon. Because he says, I, I predicted this. Your gods predict nothing. But what I said from the beginning has come to pass. God himself uses this, 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 this great feature of what he's able to do. When the Roman 10th Legion moves south through the Judean desert after destroying Jerusalem in AD 70, a religious sect, I think we call them the Essenes, um, were under threat and they wanted their documents preserved. So they hid them in some caves. They stayed there hidden for hundreds and hundreds of years. In November 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls, as we now call them, were rediscovered in these obscure caves at Qumran. These contained copies, more or less, of all the books of the Old Testament. Some of them, like the Great Isaiah Scroll, as it's called, are dated at between 350 and 100 years before Jesus. So I know that you could look at your Bible and say, well, that Bible was only printed a few years ago. But this is stuff that was there for definite dated by experts before Jesus came. And of course, those books from the Bible predict the coming of the Messiah, where he would be born, how he would die, how he would rise, what would happen afterwards. And it all did in Jesus. Now, you and I, we can't do that, especially hundreds of years. We might... We might possibly be able to predict something next week. But hundreds of years in advance, Isaiah was writing about 700 BC. We can't do that. That's way off our scale. 
evidence, fingerprints of God on that book, the Bible. But actually, you don't have to go back 2,000 years to see whether or not the Bible predictions come true. Again, you just have to look around right now. Three simple facts. I think nothing controversial, it's just obvious. Three simple facts which point to the Bible foretelling the future are right in front of our eyes today. One, though most other ancient peoples have disappeared, the Bible tells us that the Jews, special people, will be around till the end of time. And despite the Holocaust and all the anti-Semitism over the centuries, they are. Number two, the Bible tells us that following the coming of Jesus, people from all nations would begin to come to believe in him. And we see it, even in places like China. Since about the 1970s, Chinese church has grown underground. <laughs> the authorities don't like it. They have to meet in secret. But uh, least estimates are of 60 million or so people who are Christians in China, despite the persecution. Same in India as well. Just as the Bible says. And of course, these are places where Christians are persecuted. How, why would they become Christians? And you're going to be persecuted for it. Yet it's happening. Three, the Bible tells us, as we read from 2 Timothy 3, that end time society, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, disobedient to their parents, proud, arrogant. And sadly, we have to look around our society and we say, well, it's rather like that, isn't it? It's not too different from that. So, there again. And we could say a lot more, of course. The Bible could not have been written just by human beings. It does really have God's fingerprints on it. So there's some science, there's some history, and of course we can ask some questions a bit later after we've had a cup of tea or whatever. But thirdly, let's think about experience, because not everyone's a scientist or is interested in history or whatever, but most people are interested in what happens to other people, their stories. And I've got lots of stories that I could tell you, astonishing stories. And you get to know Christians, and very often they have some astonishing stories to tell you of what God has done in their lives. One of the most remarkable for me concerned a friend named Bunty. She was a middle-aged woman, three adopted children when I got to know her. And this was before I got to know her. She was in a wheelchair with an aggressive cancer and the doctors, I think at the Royal Surrey, said, can't do any more. But one morning, alone in her house, she surrendered her life to Christ, asking for forgiveness, asking that when her time came, he would take her to heaven. Now, that's unremarkable. 
Praise the Lord, lots of people do that. But then after she prayed that, something happened. Quite unexpectedly, she began to be aware of what felt like warm water being poured over her. It wasn't water, it just felt like that, okay? And she wondered what was happening. Astonishingly, within a few minutes, she felt strong. She got up out of the wheelchair. She had been made completely better. This is what makes me smile. When her husband, John, came home and understood what had happened, his first reaction was, oh no, does this mean we've got to go to church? (laughs) Well, it did. And later John became an elder in the congregation where I was the pastor. John used to play football for Aldershot Town (laughs) years and years ago. Bunty lived many more years and used her home for hospitality. Matthew, your pastor, as a young teenager, often used to go and have tea with John and Bunty. He'd tell you all about it. He knew this woman just as much as I did. Now you can dismiss all this, such experiences. You can come up with some kind of ridiculous way of explaining them away. I say that this one is a very, very unusual one. This kind of thing doesn't happen every day, but it happened. Such things happen. They point to God. God being there. Science, history, experience. It's beginning to fill in everything, isn't it? It's not just that Belief in God is helpful. It is helpful. In fact, there was a study recently saying that people with religious faith had come through COVID much better than others. (laughs) You know, those kinds of things happen. But it's not just that it's helpful. It is that he's actually there. It works because it is true. That's what we're trying to get across tonight. We're going to stop there.